sustains all of my life you are the one that i run to in you i am satisfied oh your mercy is new every morning your grace sustains all of my life you are the one that i run to in you i am satisfied don't hang your head when you get lonely
morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July. It's good to see y'all. If you want to stand up, we'll pray and we'll praise God. God, we love you and we're here for you today. Just uh, as we come from a, a crazy world, crazy lives, God, just as we gather this morning in your name, help us push that aside, put you first in everything we do, God. Just be at the center of everything. Because apart from you, we're set to fail. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you for the freedom we have in you. We just, uh, as our nation does continue to separate and fall more and more away from you, um, let us uh, be energized even more, God, to fight for your kingdom, uh, to take it to America, to the world. So we love you, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Pray as we have the responsibility to do that. We, um, we stand together, united. We stand with each other for you, for your glory, and for your purpose, God. Amen.
Well, good morning, everybody. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. And a uh, special thank you for those last night who uh, put together the, uh, the events that were uh, that took place at the park for providing the slide, the Yokeleys, thank you so much, and everybody else who served. Um, what's that? Decaf. She served. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, Father, come to you grateful for the great privilege it is to make your word known. Spirit, I pray, confessing that I can do nothing apart from your word as neither can a branch, neither can a branch do anything apart from the vine. So I'm completely desperate for you, on you, to empower everything that I would have to say. And the same as all those here, we need you for the ability to hear as, a, as well. So I pray that you would sanctify your word in our hearing and my speaking. Thank you for your marvelous grace. May you create in our hearts reverence, and great hope in your great name. And it's for that name we, we pray. Amen. All right, so I only have one goal today, and that's for us to leave with an abiding reverence and hope in Christ our Lord and Savior. And so here's my plan. I'm going to share with you the text as it laid uninterrupted. We'll go back and we'll open it up. And then I have two points, and it'll take all of our time to do that. Um, but I want to end last week's sermon, because I realized just going, going forward from last week that uh, we talked about not concealing the light, that we're not supposed to be filing cabinets, um, that uh, lock and store up the word. We're supposed to maximize the light. We're supposed to be bookshelves and let what's on us, what's in us, show. And... Um, I didn't give you much application of that, and I want to do that before, and end last week before we begin this week. And um, Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 37, verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. That's like a command from Scripture. He's like saying, hey, enjoy me. God made us for our joy. And I think I robbed you of that last week, and I just said, just let it shine, just let it shine. And I never told you how, so my apologies. Throughout the New Testament, there's this saying, Put on Christ, like Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Christ, put on Christ, uh, put off self, put on Christ. And, it's, 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 and I want to tell you what I think that means. I think that means delighting ourselves in the Lord. Uh, John Piper helped me to understand this. And um, it's not about begrudging submission. The Lord's not glorified in that. It's about glad submission to the Lord. There's much glorification for the Lord in our glad surrender and seeing his supreme worthiness and his supremacy and he's, uh, we savor him and see his surpassing worth. Um, plus, no one operates like that, like in begrudging submission. Out of, uh, if we operate like that in begrudging submission, we'll find satisfaction in something else, somewhere else, from someone else. Um, so what if it was our first priority every day to make ourselves happy in the Lord, to keep ourselves joyful in his promises? 
our joys will always override us. That's why we choose the things that we choose. We, we, we follow our joys. So what if the Lord was your greatest treasure and you, that first battle of the day was saying, come on, heart, let's get in this. Let's, let's, uh, this is all about the glory of the Lord. Let's, let's live for him. Come on, heart. That's good self-talk. The psalmist talks to himself. He said, oh, my heart, why are you dismayed within me? Yet I will praise the Lord. So if we live like that, what would our prayers look like? What would our work look like? If he's our treasure that overrides us, uh, uh, to be completely satisfied in the son of God who ransomed us and made us adopted sons of God. Because it's easy to maximize the light when the light is maximized in us. Um, John Piper said much better than that. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so I apologize for not sharing that last week. And we have a man who's going to show us this today. But first, and I have his permission to tell this story, Cliff Vota. I don't know if Cliff's here. I don't see Cliff. All right. Cliff Vota, last Saturday night, he was having some health issues, and it tr triggered him to go to the hospital uh, last Saturday night. And he, it, what he thought was just a cold, he ended up finding a spot on his lungs. Now, he felt that. He felt the weight of that. He, he wasn't impervious to feeling the reality of what that means. But then I talked to him, and he's, he has joy. I called him thinking, like, maybe he can't even talk because his throat's a little, his throat's a little sensitive. Um, and he was awaiting for results and procedures, and he's, he's shipped up to St. E's, I believe, and he gets a roommate. So what does Cliff do? Encourages him, tells him about the Lord, sees a change in this guy. Nurses come in. They start talking. A little quick relationship is formed. And, and he, told, he tells a story of when she was young, she went in for a broken leg, and it led to finding something else that was much that was deeply wrong with her that was, if it weren't for that broken leg, it would not have been known. And if it weren't for his cold, his, the spot on his lungs would not have been known. And there's a bunch of other stories too, and Cliff is just, he's happy amongst that, like in his head and his heart with the weight of that, with knowing that his wife feels the weight of that as well. That's a hard thing to deal with when you love somebody. You don't want them to feel weight. Uh... But he doesn't see his hospital stay as being about him. He doesn't see his suffering as being about him. He feels it. But he's glorifying the Lord. He's maximizing the light out of satisfaction in his heart for the Lord. So he felt the fear. He felt suffering. And he doesn't waste it. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your health. Christ won out over his circumstances. And so, th there's needs throughout our church and there's opportunities to serve. Right now, we're establishing the gospel and that's our focus. And as time goes on, there'll be more opportunities for us to serve because as the light is maximized in, in you, you're going to have a supernatural to want to do something about it. 
be it the children's ministry, be it if, uh, if the Lord calls you as a qualified man to be an elder, or whatever have you. Lord put on Rachel's heart, what, to get a slide? That's how she served, maximizing what's in her heart. The Oakley's not just... <laughs> you guys were really good. Yeah, they were really good slide bouncers, by the way. Is that what you were, slide bouncers? Standing there? I was kind of scared going up there. It was pretty fast. Anyway. But as the light is maximized in you... Um, like, being a Christian is just being faithful to what you know. Just be, that's all faith is, is letting what you know about the Lord out of you. Being the open bookshelf, being ready, being open. You can't be faithful to what you don't know. You can't teach someone what you don't know. So, before we go on and come into our text for today, uh, I want to pray for Cliff. So, Lord, we come to you as a body to pray for this man of the Lord whose life is marked by service to the Lord. Pray for all those he's spoken to that his witness would bear light in the glory that is in the face of Jesus Christ, that by faith, that instrument that you give us to reach out onto you, that that reaching would take place as they're left with no other option because you're the perfect option to be left with. And so thank you that through his stay, he got to do that work. He saw his stay as light momentary affliction that is yielding a crop that never, never fades, producing a weight for eternity in these people. May that's what happened today. And we pray as well for healing for Cliff as he awaits procedure. We pray for encouragement for his heart that he would not become despaired in those quiet moments, but that he would remember you. And I know that he does, but still, even the greatest of us, strongest of us in faith are still prone to forget. But thank you that you never forget us. Even in all our wondering and our forgetting, in our disbelief and our doubt, thank you. May we be like Cliff, who's like Christ. As we pray for him, mind, heart, body, and soul, his healing and encouragement. And the Lord's people said, amen. All right, so our text today. Can I ask you to stand as we read this text? I wanted us to leave with reverence and hope, so if we stand, maybe our bodies can help us, our hearts stand up as well. This is Jesus, a story of Jesus, one of my favorite stories. This is Luke 8, if you're following along in your Bibles or on your phone, starting in verse 26, right after the storm that Jesus calmed last week. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from a city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. 
for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them into, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to send him to enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Then the herd's men saw what had happened. They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for, great, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of God. You may be seated. All right, back up top. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. This is a Greek place, uh, a Gentile settlement city. Uh, we can tell by the presence of pigs in the story because Jews and pigs, no, they don't go together for reasons I don't have time. Uh, which is opposite Galilee. Now, it's opposite in just more, more ways than directionally, but we see that they have the same problems as any side of the lake has, the presence of demons. Demons are not respecters of people. Um, and the presence of human indifference as well, presenting the case that on both sides of the lake, Romans 3.11 uh, rings true, that no one seeks for God. And the good news is that our God intervenes. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, he didn't just have a cold. He wasn't just going to get over this. His life was marked by perpetual, well, he was banished by the perpetual indwelling of these uh, beings who are at enmity with God, wreaking chaos in his life and keeping him from any kind of ordered mind. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. Like, this was instant. Um, like, back in Luke, if you remember, back in Luke 4, um, 
we, Jesus goes into a synagogue, and there's, this, there's, a, uh, there's a man there who Jesus is preaching the good news, and this demon is just flushed out from hearing the voice of the Lord. This demon must present itself before the Lord. Um, it can't stand the sound of his voice back in Luke 4 because the very same voice was the voice that pronounced final judgment on it. So it can't stand the sound of good news being for all these people that Jesus is standing in the synagogue proclaiming. The voice that had damned it, cast the verdict on it, was offering good news to people like you and I. And this is in the line of biblical nakedness. After Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were open, the text says, and they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. So this is in the line of biblical nakedness and I don't have a lot of time with this. Um, Essentially, they lost the covering of God. In Christ Jesus, he restores that covering, granting us the righteousness by which we must must be clothed in to stand before God. And as well that he was banished, not a part of the city, but he lived in the tombs. That was his existence. There's a man that's kind of notorious in Salem. I saw him this morning on walking on the bridge. I'm not going to say his name, but maybe you've seen him. He's a uh, I have all this fresh on my mind, and I see this man who's on the outskirts. I see this man who is kind of notorious for the situation that he's in. Drugs are a part of his life. Even when he's sober, he's getting, he's trying to acquire from anybody can, people in passing cars. I thought of that man today because we drive by him, I drove by him. Jesus didn't drive by this guy. When he saw Jesus, and I prayed for this man as well, and leave him without prayer, no need you run into should ever not trigger you to pray. We'll talk about more about that later. And he said with the law, uh, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. Like, it always amazed me. Like, Jesus arrives on shore about this story that he... This guy had everywhere to go, everywhere else to go, and he comes to Jesus, the one whom you think he'd be running from. He has the whole wilderness. He has the tombs. He has the city he can escape into and hide. But there is no running and there is no hiding ultimately from Jesus, and this demon knows that better than any. It must present itself to him, just like Satan in Job 1 must, he's judged, but he still must submit himself to the Lord because the Lord is still sovereign and powerful and in control of him. We often think of him as a dog without a leash, ravenous and going around biting. He's a dog on a leash and can only do what the Lord allows him to do to accomplish the Lord's goodwill, even from evil. That's how good the Lord is. He can turn evil into good. He can use what he hates to accomplish what he loves. 
And so Job, Satan must present himself before God, so must demons present before Christ. In the synagogue in Luke 4, comes right up to him. Here, comes right up to him. And said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you. There's the first uh, instance of begging. Maybe when you heard the story, you kept hearing begging. There's first. We're going to pay attention to that. Do not torment me. Uh, in Matthew's account of this very story, um, Matthew actually cites two guys, and then people get together and they say, oh, see, this one has two guys, this one has one. Luke just focuses on the one. Where there's two, there's two ones. Luke just focuses on this one, and so does Mark. Um, but Matthew's account, he said, have you come to torture me before the appointed time? Demons exist. Uh, the demon's existence was one of desperation. Why? I've already said it, because judgment is final. Its judgment was final. It knew the Lord had a day fixed. Knew that what was waiting for it on that day. Hebrews 10:31 says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Satan, by association, and all his ungodly host have experienced that final judgment already. In John 16, 11, Jesus says, The ruler of this world, who is Satan, uh, is judged. Like, this has already happened. The verdict has already been cast. Uh, uh, the verdict has already been passed with no possibility of being lifted or changed, but the sentencing has not yet been administered. Verse, 39, uh, verse 29 for he had commanded the unspirits to come out of the man. Like, this man didn't ask. He's probably unable to. Jesus just saw the need. That's grace, mercy, compassion, protection, power, justice. He just saw a need and walked into it. That's our job, too. That's what separates the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. I showed you a need, and your response was something. Good. And faithful servant, I showed you a need, and your response was nothing. Wicked servant. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bounds and be driven into the and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? I don't think Jesus really needs to know what his name is. I think he asked he knows everything. He knows people's names before they tell him. He knows what they're thinking, as we saw a few weeks ago. Um, I think he asked for the benefit of the disciples hearing in this. Remember the 12 were with him? And he said, legion. He answers him. Uh, the demons must present themselves before him, and they, must, and they also can't keep anything from him. They can't withhold any info from God, because they know God. Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. There's no hiding from him. There's no keeping anything from him. He already knows. That should kind of release us to confess things to him because he already knows. And he's open for business. Just some good news on that. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Like in a, in a Roman, Roman battalion, there was some 6,000 soldiers. Uh, that's what a legion was considered, 6,000 soldiers. Uh, it's not to say that there, this man had 6,000 demons, but he had a plurality of demons. Like, he wasn't a room for rent. He was a hostage situation in a packed hotel. That's this guy. Like, dogs have fleas. This man had demons. 
and they, now, there's, now it sh- switches. Now there, no, there's more than one. And they begged, second mention of begging, not to command them to depart into the abyss, because they knew what was waiting for them. Revelation 9 says this abyss is the bottomless pit that when open pours out like a great, smoke pours out like a great furnace. They roam the earth now, but with a deadline. They knew this place, this abyss. They didn't want to go there. It means this place is a reality, and we do not want to go there. Jesus provides the only means of escape. They exist in the terrible knowledge of what their final, of this being their final destination. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged, third mention of begging, and they begged him to let them enter these. So finding no rest elsewhere, they wonder, going from one host to the next, whoever opens themselves up to them. So he gave them permission. Like this is their judge, their judgment was final. They can only beg for what's finalized to be postponed, the inevitable put back. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now, that's probably not the PETA organization's favorite verse. Um, uh, and this shows you, my wife said, man, those pigs, oh, sad. Yeah. But Jesus says elsewhere, um, my God, not a sparrow falls to the ground without our heavenly Father knowing about it, and you are worth far more than any of them. So, like, this is, you were created over and beyond. You bear the image of God in your likeness. It's how you were made. Now we need to be remade in the image of his son that's being born again. Your life has value because of the one who gave it to you. And went into the lake and drowned. To follow darkness to its natural conclusion can only lead to destruction and death. Now when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. How good does a right mind feel after you have this just terrorist situation where that's holding you hostage? How good would that be? How, who likes being confused? Um, when we have a guest who overstays their welcome, which is fine, by the way, if you come to my house. Um, Christ put his mind in right order. You keep him in perfect, Isaiah 6, uh, 26 verse 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. All else, by contrast, puts our mind at chaos. Think of, I don't have time, but King Nebuchadnezzar goes from thinking he's God to God throwing him out, wild in the fields, his authority taken, goes crazy to coming to his sentence and glorifying a God. He used to think he was God. Think of that mercy. 
We go to all of these different sources, drink from all these different wells, trying to bring about what only Jesus can accomplish in our lives. And they were afraid, the people. They knew the effort it took to restrain this man, whom they were terrified of. Now they were rightfully terrified of Jesus, who did what they could never do and subdued him. He was kept under guard, it says. This was like a way of life. This guy was like a part of their life to keep him bound. And then Jesus comes, and just like he told the storm, didn't argue with the storm, did he? How many times did he have to tell the storm to be quiet? It's right to be fearful of this Jesus. And we'll talk about that again. And those who had seen it, told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. This is an eyewitness account thing. This is, And then all the peoples of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them. That asked him right there is the fourth mention of begging. Note, the demons want to stay. The people want him to go. The people were more comfortable with a demoniac than Jesus. Jesus disrupted the thing the demons had going. Just so it's clear, there's no meeting Jesus and not being disrupted. These people refused that. Probably thought they were putting up a healthy boundary like you're in my bubble. You're interfering with me. And in doing so, they cut off the only hope to real life for continuing in self-preservation. It's amazing how preserving ourselves ultimately leads to hurting us in our efforts to preserve and John 12, 25 says that Jesus tells us, those who hate, those who love their lives will lose it, but those who hate their lives will keep it for eternity. There's a turning from self that needs to happen. I don't hate our life as in we start grumbling. Hate just means we turn from biblical hate. Just, it's as simple as that. It's as subtle as that. In many cases, you don't know you're hating something, but you're turned from it. Withholding your presence. Christians are people with a Godward direction. They turn to him. Also from this, we see kickback comes to Jesus, and so it comes with Jesus. If they hated me, they will hate you, but be encouraged, I've overcome for they were seized with great fear. Now there's the good fear and the bad fear. The good fear, now let's go bad fear first. The bad fear takes you away from him. There's pride in that fear that says, no, he can't or no, he won't. Takes you away. The good fear takes you too. There's the good fear that it's a good and right thing to fear the Lord. And in that, like we said last week, all the fear knots in the, in the Bible find their home in fearing the Lord, adhering to him, seeking refuge in the one place that you're to hide from, 
and find shelter from. We seek refuge in Christ Jesus because he satisfied all that we have to worry about judgment day. He drank it on himself, poured it on his son. We seek refuge in him. He's the only lifeboat, and there's room. So he got back in the boat and returned. So he got in the boat and returned. This is a just judgment. He tells his disciples when he sends them out, if you go here and they don't receive you, shake the dust from your heels. Effectively, he's doing that same thing here. And we need to ask ourselves as individuals and perhaps as a church, are we a people who name the name of Jesus Christ and desire his presence? Do we say and claim that name but reject the person? Do you name him and belong to him? Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged. Fifth mention of begging. The begging had changed for this man. Now, unlike the demons and the world citizens who want him to leave, the one who's tasted of his goodness wants that he might be with him. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. He saw the surpassing worth of Christ. He saw his sufficiency. He wasn't like the lepers and other stories in the Bible where Jesus heals them and only one of them comes back to the, to the right place, to him. Um, he didn't just receive healing. He received Christ. And the text continues, but, and this is where we see Jesus' will is different than our plans. We don't do what we think best. We do his will, so we know his word. We need to know his word so that we can do his will. Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Now, they heard the herdsmen. Now, I want you to go tell them. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city, he's thorough, how much Jesus had done for him. All right? So, go, Jesus said to go declare how much God had done for you. And he went about proclaiming how much, the text says, Jesus had done for him. This man knew who Jesus was. So it's not enough to know who he is, because even the demons know who he is, and they shudder, says James 2. The demons knew who he was. They named him Jesus, son of the, Jesus the Son of God, uh, Son of the Most High God. They knew exactly who he was. And by grace, we will too. So it's not enough to know who he is, but we must know who he is. As John 8 says, unless you know that I am, you will not enter the kingdom. So if we're going to enter the kingdom, we need to come under the reign and rule of the king. We are not identified in the kingdom until we identify Christ as king and obey him. Does this man obey him? Jesus sends him and he goes. That's obedience. He tells them how much Jesus has done for him. So because, Je okay, so now Jesus became this man's worldview. His identity had been defined by his bondage and now was defined by his redeemer. And we see his response was not about his life being marked by victimization or even his new liberty merely, but his focus was now on his liberator. Not just, I'm free, end of story, but I've been freed, Jesus. Not, he's not wallowing in what happened to him. He's, he's not a victim anymore. It's dead. It's good. 
gone. He's not going to keep it alive. It's not some stray cat he's going to feed. And so it keeps coming around. It's gone. He's not going to bring it back to life. His identity now is Jesus and Christ alone. Like the past hurts. But because of Christ, this guy isn't going to use it as a crutch. Jesus is the remedy today, now, for freedom today and future. The past has pretty paralyzing effects on some of us. His identity is Christ alone. And do you think that after all that define this man before Christ, that after experiencing the liberating glory of God in Christ, that he would consult or allow any other source, person, identity, psychology, emotionalism, religion, political view, or whatever, to inform his identity. He's going to stop putting him, we need to stop putting ourselves in compartments and be free in the kingdom of open pasture. Do you want that? Don't drink from another well when Christ is sufficient. We don't have the specific issues this man had, yet doesn't that tell you that Christ is sufficient for the issues that we do have? Like we, it, we stake our eternity on him, but not so much tomorrow. He forgives our sins fully, completely, and forever, fully, freely, and forever. But we're a little slower to trust him with today's issues. And good news is that we won't have any power then in ourselves. We'll have no pride then in the then. I want to live like that's true now. In high school, I always thought, like, you know, if it, if it doesn't matter then, why should it matter now? And that freed me from a lot of the high school confines. So if it doesn't matter then, my strength, and it's all of the Lord, man, that pops such a good bubble in my pride. Hole in my pride, yeah. So what does it say about our faith in Christ when we depend on more than him, all while claiming allegiance to him? Don't be like the Galatians or the third soil, that it's Christ and. This man right here is not Christ and, he's Christ alone. And so first point and second point. First point, the reality of evil. It's in this text, it's apparent, it's tangible makes no bones about it. It's present. And maybe for some of you, that's your question. We all have questions, and they're good things to have. Just don't leave them unanswered. Some of our questions aren't real questions. They're just like kind of like what we ask so that to remain indifferent from God and be like these people. So there's the reality of evil. If there's, and maybe your question is, if there's a good God, then why evil? Well, the Bible doesn't hide this from us. It doesn't. There's a curse that's been pronounced in Genesis 3. It, sin fell into the world, and God doesn't stop bullets or stop wars or stop cancer or stop terrible things that you can happen that I don't even want to say. 
to reveal the category of evil and be proven right that there's a problem and so be seen as what he truly is, the savior from that problem. It's all for his glory. And he's sovereign over the evil. Remember the the demons present themselves, Satan presents himself. So there's evil in the world. It's out there. It's active. It's moving around. There are spirits behind things. And don't think just because we live in 2021 that we're so enlightened that we don't believe stuff like this. That doesn't make it go away. It doesn't mean it exists. That doesn't make it not exist. Well, your faith in this doesn't make it exist. It believes rather, it's true rather I believe in it or not. This is a historical book. It's not a story book. So there's evil in the world. There's the reality of the evil in the world. And then there's the reality of evil in us. G.K. Chesterton, old theologian, uh, the New York Times put out a question to its readers in early 1900s and they invited their responses. And uh, their question was, what's wrong with the world? And they invited their readers to respond. G.K. Chesterton wrote in with the shortest uh, with the shortest letter that they got. Everybody's sending all these pages in, this, this, and this. What would you write? G.K. Chesterton said, in response to your question, what's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Sin is something that infects and affects all of us. And we're not just sinners because we sin sometimes and, we just, and, and, and we're active uh, when we sin. Uh, we're sinners because it's who we are. Like, I'm a sinner just standing here, even not sinning. And I need a new nature. It's, I need born again. My first birth wasn't good enough. I need born again. So, Because even if I obeyed this book, start to finish, I would still wake up in hell because the gospel is not that I'm bad and need made good. It's that I'm dead and need, be made, I need to be made alive. And most of my uh, battles in being sanctified and uh, my heart being conformed onto the image of Christ is me dying on the battlefield of my own narcissism. I'm far too sinful for notoriety. So there's evil in us. And that's what Jesus came for. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And it needs dealt with. My pitiful opinions need to die so his perfect truth can reign. I worship my own opinions before loved him. And we need put in a right mind at the feet of the Lord with no less urgency than this man. The same as this man needed a new nature, so do we. And the promise of the gospel is that God will give you a new heart. And within that heart is all the desire for him that wasn't in your old heart of stone. Ezekiel 36 says that he will take out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You know, this is clay in God's hand. He can shape it. He can mold it. And, uh, and you want him to. You don't want him to do that before. You don't want him to change things. That's why we stay away from this book, because we know that it means business. 
and we're hesitant to come to it. But don't be. When it hurts, that's him working. Keep reading. And just a note, indifference is the worst possible response. Not even the slave-driving, hostage-taking demons were indifferent to the word of God, but the people apart. But people are apart from the Lord's intervention. You have the word. It's right in front of you. It's the only thing that saves, satisfies, and suffices. Don't go to other places. Drink from other wells. Tell the speaker to leave. Like it's flabbergasting that like the demons are judged, they are shown no mercy. And he, how grateful should we be as recipients of it. So may the only thing we be indifferent to is our indifference. And the second and the bigger reality, because I know you're feeling the weight of the first one. You're like, man, I hate when this guy's up here. The second and the bigger reality is the reality of Christ and the reality of Christ in us. Look at the reality of Christ in this text. He disturbs, disrupts, dismantles, dethrones, and destroys the dominion of evil, foreshadowing in this story what he would soon do on the cross. On the cross, he fulfills his promise that he would come and decimate evil. He would deal it a fatal blow. Because our problems often think we, we need to deliver from things that are distracting us from him, but we need to deliver us from this first problem, this indwelling sin nature. We need a new nature, and that's what Jesus bought for us. He fulfilled his promise that he would come. He's come. He delivered the fatal wound, the death blow to Satan and company, the rulers and authorities in the unseen realm, and in that place of the cross deals with our evil too. And all of the things that he forgives us for are attributed to him on the cross, poured out on him so that all that he earned that we never did is, is uh, imputed to us. And so God sees us not as we're all feeling right now, I have a sin, I have a sin. He just keeps pressing on my sin. I wish he shut up and get to the good part. We're here. And the evil will ultimately and absolutely be dealt with in the end with no possibility of it ever returning because the Bible's beginning, middle, beginning. No end. He's powerful against evil. The reality is Christ, then, uh, the reality is Christ is bigger than the sinful world. He's overcome it. He's compassionate with us, understanding our condition. He endures our hesitance for a time. He's patient, giving us time to repent, 2 Peter 3, 9. He shows us forbearance. That's passing over offenses. Uh, he doesn't just let them go. He poured them on Jesus for us. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus is where my narcissism dies. And he gives us chances for a time. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't run. Don't tell him to leave. Because the only, uh, because, not only because of Jesus, it's not, not, so because of Jesus, it's not hopeless. He can crack any heart, penetrate any hard heart. 
this event teaches us that there are no hard cases for the Lord. This man, this man, this recipient of grace goes from no clothes to clothed, from no home being lost and wandering among the tombs and death to being found, given life and purpose, being put on mission, from victim to the victor who is Christ, held in bounds literally and spiritually, <coughs> to glad captivation in his liberator, chains on his feet to sitting at Jesus' feet, terrified of Christ to being fearful not to be with Christ, begging Jesus to leave, to begging to be with Jesus and follow Jesus. What happened? An enemy-occupied mind to an ordered right mind, from alienation to among. Driven into the desert by demons to sent to the city by Jesus. From crying out to proclaiming, now ministering to the people who, were, uh, who held him so that they might be freed from their bondage of unbelief. Jesus left him there as a mercy to these people. He tasted and seen. They'd just seen. He's giving them another chance, showing the truth of Jesus suffices as the presence of Jesus it as it concerns us today here in this room. Be sure of it. God is in his message. Romans uh, 1.16, the gospel, the good news of Christ that you're hearing today, is the power of God to save you. You don't get saved by anything you do. You get saved by everything Christ did and him giving you his perfect account. You're hearing this today. Uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians that when we shared this message with you, God reached out and saved you. Like God is in his message. So this Jesus, is he not worthy of yours and my life? Hasn't he, by his death, burial, and resurrection, overcome the world? And he's come and put his feet on our shores today, FCC, and in hearing his word, and he can just as easily put them back in the boat as we've seen. So you think your sin is a match for him? Like, I'm pleading with you. Like, hey, but I got this sin in my life. He doesn't. That's why you need him. Hey, but every reason you can find not to follow him is every reason why you need him. Everything that he would save you from. Everything that causes you to hesitate. I, didn't hesita I hesitated for years and years and years and years while thinking I was a Christian, but I didn't want, I, my, what are my friends going to think? Looking back on it now, I would have chosen him five minutes sooner if I could, but I didn't chose him, he chose me. Not because of anything in me. So all that's keeping him from, keeping you from him is every evidence of why you need him. I have a great need for a savior, Charles Spurgeon said. But praise God, I have a great savior for my need. He's the only one that can lift that weight on you now because we'll, we'll, after you leave here, you'll lift it somehow. I want you to, he can lift it now. Because you and I are no better or any less evil than this demoniac. Welcome to church. Or these people. We need the very same grace as this man. I need the very same Jesus as this man. I need his saviorhood. I need his leading. I need his lordship. Because I'll go back to the same thing I was before. I need his saviorhood because I need his blood over every inch of my being. 
Tony Ranke said, uh, growth in grace is getting unduped by evil. The pleasure buds of sin cannot compare to the endless pleasures of God's presence. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. That path is Jesus Christ himself. The way, the truth, and the life is not a way, a theory, a means to life. Jesus personified is what you need. Christianity is about a person, it's about him. He restores you onto God. You make known to me the path of life. He's shown us his son. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there is pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of God right now? It's this Jesus we're talking about. Ephesians 2 tells us that he saved us a seat. So put on the Lord, delight in him. You don't want to, you don't naturally want to, he'll supernaturally help you with that if you ask him to. So I wanted us to leave today with reverence and hope. We're about to enter communion time where we lay all the weight before the cross because there is no sin that the cross can't handle. Who's on communion today? Denny. All right, Denny, you can come up as we pray. Father, thank you for providing your son. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the weight that we feel right now. Sometimes when we're being woken up, it involves being shaken. Thank you for the promise that you will relieve that weight and we will find an ordered and right mind sitting at your feet. John the Baptist said that he was not worthy to untie your sandals. But we get to sit and hear the very words of life spoken to us. So help us to accept the invitation, to receive it. Help us to receive you and just believe. Because Lord, you You've given us our robes of righteousness. You Help us to put you on. Just because we have a jacket doesn't mean we're wearing it. Help us to put you on. Be satisfied in deep levels of grace and goodness that are in you. It's hard to see that right now. Would you help us to? And cultivate deep joy within us. And the knowledge that our God has worked today to free us. You are wonderful. Help us to see your surpassing worth and it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. The 4th of July, a special day as we look back in our country. And as we look back and we talk about or read how this nation was founded, the most important part 
as I read about it, that 52 men sat down and decided that the things needed to change. And as they formulated the Declaration of Independence, the most important part came with the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. One nation under God. Those men knew that without God, they would not be successful. This nation would not come about. Change would not be productive. And as we go forward, I think it's important that we remember that, that this nation was formed under God. I'd like to share, if I could, something very short with you. On this day, many Americans proudly define themselves by the nation that they live in. But as Christians, we know that our earthly citizenship has no bearing on our true identity. At the moment of salvation, all believers become citizens of heaven. Civic responsibilities, while important, are always secondary to our allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Followers are called to seek his kingdom first, regardless of their nationality. Philippians 3.20 reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven because God's is our most essential role. And when we prioritize this relationship above all else, we gain an accurate perspective of life no matter what is happening in our country. Setting our mind on the things above, which is Galatians 3, 2, helps us to remember our true home in God's kingdom, where we will gather together with all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Someday, we all have the opportunity to head to a much, much, much better place. There's only one avenue that's going to get us there, and that is through God. So as we pray for the emblem, for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, let us also pray for our nation as we move forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that every day come our way through your gracious love. We know that you have created us in your image and that you desire us to walk closely with you. Father, we thank you for your love, for your understanding, for your guidance, and all that you do to preserve us and to help us as we strive to become the people that you desire. Father, as we come to the table today, we also ask a special blessing upon our nation. Father, we know that you have created all of us and all things May we develop within us 
compassion, understanding, and a sense of love for not only all that is the same within us and with others, but also all of that which is different. Father, you have made us, you have created us, and you love us. May we return those things to you through our actions. We ask and we pray these things through your great name. Amen. strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter my the power of Christ. 
pictures from yesterday um, from the slides if you got to take part we thank you for the Oakleys and for heading that up um, what else and a surprise if you weren't aware but maybe you know uh oh hello oh hey Grace <laughs> if she was violent she might attack you for pointing her out <laughs> but luckily she's nice keeps her power under wraps but on your way out there is a table in the back with some cupcakes so go ahead and stop by mingle a little bit if you want get some cupcakes and have a nice day love y'all <laughs> 